0: Hello and welcome to First Geek 4.11. This week, we're going to be doing a Final Fantasy VII Remake spoiler cast. And with me, as always, for that, my best man, Chris Nicolay. Chris, how are you doing today?
1: I am, well, may the fourth be with you.
0: May the fourth be with you, too. Listeners, may the fourth be with you.
1: Or hopefully it was with you.
0: Or hopefully it was, yes. (laughs) It would be really impressive if we got this out today i mean but, it's you know.
1: doable but it just screws up our schedule <laughs> it just <laughs> looks weird
0: as we said this is our final fantasy 7 remake spoiler cast um but before we get into that let's run through our usual intro listeners as always you can find us on our social media at one geek 411 on facebook twitter and our playstation community you can find, send us an email at one st geek411 at gmail.com you can write and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and, of course, Podchaser. And then you can find our show notes at our website, onegeek411.com. This is a spoiler cast. If I say it enough times, people will not be surprised when there are spoilers. <gasps> but as we, I think that we do in a lot of our spoiler casts, we're going to try to keep the beginning of this relatively spoiler-free. More of a review um,
1: of gameplay, yes. like kind of a general synopsis in our 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 ideas of the game. To maybe so, yes, you can listen to the start of this, and maybe it'll convince you to play it if you haven't, or or not if it doesn't sound like your thing, whichever.
0: Right. Um... Then after that, after we get through kind of like like Chris said, our general review, we will get into our sport our, our story thoughts, which will probably be very spoiler filled. Um, Chris and I briefly discussed stuff at the end um, or after we recorded our last numbered episode, and it was definitely like we wanted to talk about it, and so I'm really happy that that we are doing this. So. Before we get into our review, Chris, I want to know your, your one, two-sentence thoughts on what did you think of Final Fantasy VII Remake?
1: Um, My one-sentence thought is give me more. Uh, um, just in general, I can't wait for the other iterations to be released, but that is on an extended time frame, and so we'll see.
0: Yeah, I definitely left this game being like, I can't wait to see what happens next. Like, and I guess my one sentence thought is action RPGs done right. Like, there's so much to this game that I think is the like, the masterclass example on how to do an action RPG. Not that I think the game's perfect by any means, We'll get into some of that in a little bit, but like as a part one, especially there's so much that I think was done amazingly well in this game. So we're going to hop into gameplay, but before we do that, Chris, why don't we give a quick synopsis? of our relationships with final fantasy seven um, and maybe final fantasy seven as a whole just to kind of give the listeners a bit more idea of where we come into our discussion of this game
1: okay um so at least for me so final F- my relationship to final fantasy seven um it was it was the first uh rpg that i ever played um or put time into and i probably did play this game when i was when it or I guess probably not right when it launched, but probably about a year after, um, after my brother had played it and everything. Um, so I was probably about seven or eight um, when I initially played the original. i uh, probably played it again um, in high school, um, using just trying to when I had a better understanding of the characters and the game story in general. Wanted to play it wasn't so easy to rush through and just try to play through the battle system. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of growing up with Final Fantasy VII and all their other releases since then, um granted, I've only played uh in terms of secondary content, uh, I've only played uh Final Fantasy VII Dirge Service, which I never finished, um a little bit of Crisis Core, um but yeah, i've never I haven't finished those other installments, but definitely a big fan of the Advent Children um movie that they released as a Mm -hmm. uh, sequel um, to the game. And so, yeah, just kind of grow up. It was really my introductory um, game, the introductory game I had to the Final Fantasy um, series as a whole.
0: For me, I think the only real interaction I had had with Final Fantasy VII was Advent Children. Like, I've played through the beginning of the game of Final Fantasy VII, like, when it came to the PlayStation 3 as a PlayStation 1 classic. And I got through the Midgar section, and I think up and toward, up towards about where you get Vincent, or you can get Vincent. So, like, but that's about my only interactions with the Final Fantasy series, or Final Fantasy VII series. I haven't played any of the spinoffs. I always wanted to play Crisis Core um when it was on PSP but I just never really got there. And so, but yeah, it's like that's really it. I never played Dirge of Cerberus. I never played any of those really. I've definitely came at least at li- initially to the Final Fantasy franchise as a bit more of like a fan of the side games. So like Final Fantasy Tactics Advance I think is actually like one of the first games that I came to Final Fantasy through. And so then since then like I played most of the number I've played most of 10. Um, most of 10. <laughs> yes. I, I've said this on a, like, I have like everything we're about final fantasy 10. It's the, my most started video game. I think I've started it five or six times and I've just never beat it. Um, I've played a good chunk of 12 that combat system didn't really stick with me, which is then weird because I played all of 13. Um, and then a bunch of pretty fast
1: paced though. Comparatively. This is true. Um, and twelve has been fixed a lot. Like there, there are some problems with twelve um, yeah. in terms of, um, not, not like gameplay itself was all in all great. It's just missing certain elements to kind of get you through some monotonous parts, mm-hmm. um, which have been fixed. And they've even, even, even there's even more a more recent update for Final Fantasy twelve that was just released, um, letting you to uh, have essentially two sets of abilities. Um, for your characters so you don't just have have to pick when you first meet them and then decide you want them to be something different. You could actually have Mm -hmm. two different sets that you can transition them between, which is super cool, but this is not about Final Fantasy XII. I'm sorry. It
0: it is not, but I want to say I do feel like there was a weird part of coming into this as a Kingdom Hearts fan since this is directed by Nomura, who is the longtime director of Kingdom Hearts and it was very interesting coming in and seeing this game as like a lot of what I had always wanted Kingdom Hearts to be, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, there's you so want much Kingdom
1: Hearts just to be a Final Fantasy. Escape, is what you're.
0: Well, I mean, you. I really do. Um, and so it's it's one of those things that's so interesting to see, like how Final Fan or how Kingdom Hearts was so influenced by Final Fantasy, and then now, except like, for this, the most this... recent
1: installment, not having any ties to the Final Fantasy Got or Square Universe. <laughs> <Thanks>. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not happy <laughs> about that,
0: but. Yeah, but then seeing Nomura kind of taking those ideas of what they built um, for Kingdom Hearts and bringing in what I would say are the good ideas into um, a lot of the combat in this game. And so I thought that was really interesting. So with that said... Let's jump into our overall thoughts um, on the gameplay listeners. A reminder, we're going to try to keep this spoiler free. If you're one of those people that consider discussions of items or the summons or materia specific things like that spoilers, you will probably consider this spoilers. Um, But we're going to try to get away, not get into any of the major reveals during this section. No, probably no specific boss, like story boss names or anything like that. Um, we'll save those if we have any for later, but we'll try to. that. Yeah. But, we'll try to, like I said, we're going to do our best. This is a spoiler cast. So, right. And we're, we're going to do our like, best.
1: Partially. This is also I mean, at least, you know, for me, this is a remake of a game that is over 20 years old. Right. It is like, if you're not familiar with a story or things like that, or as I, I, so certain things may just come out because to me, so much of this game is just common knowledge. Right. Um, what you should know already, um, but I'm sorry. So if a spoiler does slip in this section, I do apologize. But yeah, and I, I
0: feel like any spoilers that would be in this section are things that probably would have been from the original game, and it's just how they got ported into this game, right? So, um, so with that said, Chris, where would you like to start for um. our um, gameplay discussion?
1: i'm down for whichever um in general they're like this is a kind of third person following a single character um walking simulator as you progress through the story for the most part um at least in outside of combat interactions you're Mm -hmm. primarily following cloud um is that
0: a spoiler? I don't know. No. no. <laughs> one of the things that like I didn't notice, like you had texted this to me because uh, for listeners, who I, I believe we talked about it on a latest episode, but this might be your first one. Chris beat the game way before me. And so one of the things that he texted me was how much the game was a walking sim. And I was like, no, it's not. And I was on like chapter six and then like chapter, like a couple chapters after that, there's a whole lot of walking. And I was like, Oh, it is interesting. And so you're just kind of like walking around, talking with characters for a while. Yeah, it's it, fine. It's, Good story, but it's not bad though. Like, the, like
1: the way they allowed you to like immerse um, mm-hmm. within that aspect of the game um, was great. Granted, there's periods where you're like, can you walk faster? Yeah, like <laughs> that's all I was hoping. Um, but all in all, like this is a great way because like you get to hear all these side conversations about recent events and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's this great piece of actually providing you additional information and everything right. is kind of, and everything's voice acted. So you are, it's not like text is coming up as you're walking by or anything. You actually just mm-hmm. get to hear and listen to like these side conversations about you or about other characters. And it it's a really good tool for the development of, of the game itself. And so all in all, done really well, just wish you could move faster sometimes.
0: Right, and I think that, as you said, I think that that was a really good way for them to introduce Midgar as a whole and kind of explain this world to you. Like there's a lot of scenes where you get this really cool context for what's going on in the bigger story because the game forces you to walk around. And there's one um, I'm going to talk about in our highs and lows when we get into um, our story discussion that there's this really cool walking area pretty early in the game. And it's, it's such a cool way of, of expanding what is going on in the world. Um, and so we'll talk more about that later. But it, it's such a cool way for them to do that. Um, one of the things Chris mentioned is that this is a third-person game. You do primarily follow cloud, but there are sections of the game where the, it basically forces you to play as a different character. And then during combat, you can and you can switch that around as well. But it it does, there are certain sections where you don't have the full party and it's, you're going to play as Barrett, You're going to play as Aerith or Tifa. Um, and so it's kind of interesting how they, they do that. What did you think of p- playing as different characters or did you find yourself basically just always playing as Cloud?
1: Um, I like playing as different characters. Actually, like one thing, if you really want to get into this game is getting used in terms of the combat system, um, is getting used to switching between the characters that are in your party at the time Um, partially because for one thing, um, the way the, we will mention that the uh, AI is programmed is typically to prioritize your current character Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the, the enemy AI. Um, So it is get getting used to activating the abilities and can transferring back and forth between characters is a part of how they design the combat to be. Um, and it becomes really important when you're playing in hard mode um, because that strategy of, up, oh, let's move over here. This is a distance um, uh, to kind of pull some aggro, things like that. And, and it, I actually really enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, you get to see the different, uh, rather than just focusing on a single character and, um, focusing on those specific play styles um so uh ultimately i actually end up like as later on i end up playing as tifa a lot more often mm. um she's just a little faster i like the her mobility and in, in that so because when tifa's in the party i usually play her um as my main and then kind of moving back and forth but yeah i really i think learning those different players and those different play styles and getting used to activating their abilities. Also the advantage of switching players is you also load their ATB loads faster when you're controlling them because you're using the abilities, the right. primary abilities more.
0: And that's definitely one of the things that I would say it, from a mechanical standpoint was kind of a downer is that it felt like if I was playing as one character, I would get two or three ATB bars filled by the time a different character would get one. And, like, I definitely think, to, to what you just said, that's why they want you switching around. They don't want you just sitting on one character. So, like, they want you building up your ATB with one, then switching to another, building up their ATB, then unleashing both super moves, and then moving to the third character and start, like... I definitely think that was their intention. But there were definitely times where it was like, oh, two characters just got hit by a move and both died. And my other person who I haven't been controlling is at zero ATB. Oops.
1: Yay. Right. Um, and you know, also like it was a, that, that aspect of the gameplay was a surprise to me in terms of the, uh, because they are encouraging you to switch back and forth between all the characters is that you, they don't, the only thing that are automated are their basic attacks, their blocks, um, and things of the sort, but like their actual ability triggers and things like that are not so there's like i was expecting like one thing that final fantasy has done in the past is that you set up kind of you kind of can set how the ai reacts to situations Mm -hmm. what they prioritize in battle in combat and stuff like that i was expecting that with your um your sub characters or your secondary characters there in combat but nope it's something you have to actually select their ability like if you want them to use Mm -hmm. an ability do a summon do anything that's not the their, just their, I guess, basic square attack, you have to tell them to do it. Yep. And that was a surprise to me. I was not expecting that, but it, so that took some getting used to, um, but all in all, like definitely not a bad thing. And yeah.
0: it's just different. Way. It's one of those things. Like I, I, it, I definitely feel like it took me about half the game to really get in the groove of that. And like, I remember like the very first fight, um, where it's it's cloud and Barrett, and I just remember being like, "This is so slow. Like, what is going on?" But then by the time that like I said you get about halfway through, I really felt like I got it a better understanding of the system and started like switching in and out a lot more, um, and especially like tr- maybe like prioritizing who I was fighting or who I was playing as more based on the enemy. Right. So like there there's a couple bosses I never I didn't overly like Barrett's playstyle he just kind of felt a bit more like, I'm going to sit here and move slowly. But like, there's a couple like fast moving bosses that like Barrett just has that machine gun. And it's just like, cool. I'm going to just sit here and pick them off, build up my ATB and then like shoot a big chunk of damage. Like,
1: right. One thing we should say about Barrett too, is that I I'd say he probably has the most diverse depending on what weapon he has equipped too mm -hmm. because he does have, he has a couple weapons that aren't actually range weapons. Right. Outside of maybe if you use an ability with them. Um, and when you get those weapons, it is a surprise when you switch the Barrett and you're like, wait, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. Right. Uh, Although the attacks and like, so like when you do get used to that, his close range weapons, which we'll go into a little more detail here as we discuss these pieces, is that they're the abilities that come with it and the attack, his general attacks are strong in that close range factor once you get used to it but it's just like oh shoot barrett start shooting Mm -hmm. that guy over there it's like nope he just starts (laughs) trying to jab things you're like wait what oh i'm right i I haven't maxed out this weapon yet that's why it's equipped um ultimately you do want to switch him back to something else since that his playstyle is ideal for um for the longer range or having that range ability although his his the abilities you get from those weapons are phenomenal, and mm-hmm. I probably use those the most when I'm telling Barrett to do something, um, and then in general use his range attacks when I'm controlling him. Uh, but Barrett's a tank too; like that's yeah. how he's designed for sure. He's designed to take the
0: punishment, um, right? Which is one of the things, as a whole, that I thought was really cool, um, and kind of like almost like throws some of the, the stereotypical Final Fantasy class tropes on on their heads is that like Barrett is the ranged person who you always expect to be like kind of frail like sitting in the back but they take a hit and they're down but he's like I mean he has a machine gun but he's like I'm going to be in the front lines um which very much fits his character and I think it's really cool that they did that um I don't know how much of that there is in the original Final Fantasy VII, but it, it's definitely a cool idea Yeah
1: I I mean in general he's barrett is in the in original like in this one they made him i would say i'm probably i can also be remembering this wrong but he's definitely he's a really good all-rounder um he can definitely he's tanky um which just fits his personality too as we mentioned but in this game they made him a really good like good person to have good like your healer too like he, he Like, where he really works is not necessarily when you're controlling him, but, like, as a sub-character, as his ATB, the savior ATB for the heals and everything um, when he's in your party. That's where I think he really shines in the game. Um, But all in all, just, yeah. I, I think in the original I had him as a frontliner. He has a strong attack ability or strong attack stat, or in strength stats. So he's always good for just DPS and getting damage Mm -hmm. in. Um, But I think in general, in the original, there wasn't a huge variance in between what you can do with the general characters. Um, I mean, you equip Materia. You have Mm -hmm. their abilities. It's a turn-based system. So in general, any character could fill any slot. in the original some characters had higher mp and stuff but
0: yeah and with that, that that kind of brings us into like the next thing and that's the return of the materia system which i i think is a pretty faithful, like take from the original final fantasy 7 right like it's pretty much was this same like, style mechanic in general yes
1: um um obviously they had to adapt some things so like there, there's times throughout the game where I feel like materia is just kind of cumbersome and out of place. And that's just the fact that every combat is a little different. There's <laughs> no way to truly optimize your materia and just go with that. Um, you actually have to think about the battle you're going into, change out your materia and then go forward. Granted, right. there's some staples. Whereas in the, in the in the original, you kind of, The when you would when you do change your materia is primarily when you're upgrading it or Mm. when there's new material you want to start leveling up and things like that, as you because you're discovering stronger and better materia as you progress. And for the most part, you're going to equip like as you as the game progresses, you're also you have a lot more materia slots, so you can pretty much equip all materia. in the original but that's also moving beyond what we are where we are currently right. in the story um so i mean it but other than that yes it is it has certain pairing materials. there's just there's not a ton of it, other pairings um so they transition like the all materia which allowed you to hit all your enemies with a with a mm-hmm. attack spell or cure all your party members um with a support spell uh is now magnify, which it has a your the intended target, the spell stronger, and then um, the surrounding spell is weakened by a certain percentage depending on the level of magnify.
0: Mm-hmm. I, think. I think it like bounces around too, like from like the visual perspective. The idea is that it's like leaping from one enemy to the next, right? And I think your third uh,
1: tier spell in the on the materia um, already has splash damage so i think you're right like and for fire fire faraga uh faraga has splash damage i believe and same with thunder thundara thundaga um etc but i i'm not sure if that's true it just yeah. seemed like that's what was happening when I was. it casting. might
0: not even be like i think fira fira, whatever might have splash damage too it's just i think the range might get bigger because I, I definitely feel like there were times where like you'd be fighting a lot of human enemies and they would humans are weak to fire um and so i feel like there are times where i would hit one and it would take two down so i feel like there might be some degree there there must be some degree of splash damage right. on as like the, the material levels up but it's obviously better with magnify right
1: i will also say that the material levels um like don't get me wrong like the faraga Thund- thundaga the the third iteration of this uh elemental spells They're strong, but they might be too strong that they're that the that spell is pointless. Um, what do you mean? Almost like it's it's almost like depending on your situation, the cost, I guess, the cost of power isn't worth using. And oh, yeah, this is coming from a hard, completely agree, aspect. It is too expensive to use that level of spell. Um, because you want to get multiple casts of your uh to get your stagger triggers and stuff like that so the it's just you're spending 20 something mp which you can't recover until the next chapter and it just becomes really inconvenient Mm -hmm. um so that's just a piece that that i felt like okay well now that i'm in this portion like i want to like normally you get those and you could just spam against like to quickly take out mobs and things like when you're doing your grinding and everything and now they just like it feels like a waste i think i spent all this time leveling up this materia and i'm just never going to use that high-end spell because it's just not cost effective it doesn't make sense for the end game for use doesn't fit the play style of Mm -hmm. what they want me how how they want me to play this game
0: yeah i can i completely agree one of the things i thought was kind of cool with the materia is. Is that idea that it levels up as just kind of just being equipped. You don't actually have to use it for it to level up. So that made it pretty nice. Um, and then I really liked that as you go, there are opportunities to buy more materia, but there's not opportunities to buy every materia a bunch. So there are some, like, especially the stronger ones that you are like hard limited on. And I thought that was pretty cool. Right. It makes only you... one
1: magnify in the game, right. which I hate.
0: It just makes you kind of think of how you want to use it. How, you, like, who do, do you want to put it on um, Aerith? Because she has the biggest MP and can spam spells a bit more. Do you want to put it on a different character that might be more likely to be up front with those characters and you can kind of use it as a get j- out of jail free card? Like, what do you want to do? Um, and then, like I said, if there's only one, it, it can only be used offensively or defensively. It can't be used both ways. So then how do you want to do that? And I like that it made you think in that way. Um, especially for this being the first part of the remake, I I definitely think that that is a good, like managed power level for going into the next one. So I would assume in the next one, we will get a second magnify. We will get that type of effect, um, as the characters get stronger. And so it'd be cool to then see how that affects the next game. Right. Um, one thing we should also mention,
1: uh, so one big change here is summon materia. In this mm-hmm. game um instead of you just being able to because normally you have just uh, summon materia which we go on a materia slot um instead each par- character has a dedicated summon piece um and that is so you can only have one summon equipped per character right um i don't know how I'll i say, feel
0: about that yeah i'll say i wasn't a huge fan of summoning in this game it felt better than final fantasy 15 where it felt like the summons always happened at times where I just didn't need them. But in, in remake, it kind of felt like the story we almost picked when they happened. And there were definitely like a lot of harder fights that I was like, I could really use a summon right now. Then there was a lot of other ones where it's like, I'm almost dead. Good thing. My summon gauge hasn't shown up this fight. Your
1: summon gauge ultimately actually shows up. Uh, will begin to fill after your first stagger mm. um so it is it they it starts or uh there are certain things that have to happen in combat before your summon gauge will begin to fill um that makes a lot of peace or or at we're even pressured i think it might even um there are certain cues you have to force before that summon gauge. So like in those harder battles, you have to be strategic and really Mm -hmm. push to try to manipulate those weaknesses so you can get the summon and ultimately utilize it in those big battles.
0: Yeah. Did you find yourself like leaning on one specific summon more than others, or did you find yourself kind of just bouncing around? What were your thoughts?
1: In general, I found like I equipped a specific summon to each character. So, like, I didn't really change them around as much because I equipped them based on what benefits does this character need and what boost do you get from the specific summon materia. I got you. So, I mean, essentially, yeah, Bahamut, one on Cloud. Boom. Um, Leviathan was a really strong summon to go on Aerith. Um Tifa, I think, has Ifrit, and then Shiva one on Barret.
0: And listeners, this shows the different places that we are in the game. I was not even aware Bahamut and Leviathan were in the game. Oh. I was about to make a a comment about how only Ifrit and Shiva were there. Like, you get some other summons that are, like, a little bit more goofy. But, like, I legitimately was about to talk about how I thought it was weird that no one else showed up. Well, there's Fat Chocobo. Yeah, fight chocobos there, and then if you pre-ordered, there's a Moogle riding a chocobo, right? Moogle, which chocobo is the and most adorable theme and King ever. Yeah,
1: right. Which those all like, and each one has like their advantages and stuff. But yeah, uh, so yes, um, which we'll talk about, which brings us into VR summit missions and summons. Yeah, um, so that's where you will ultimately unlock Leviathan and yeah. Bahamut.
0: Yeah. So as you play through the game, there's this guy. Um, is his name Cheedy? Oh, no, that's good place. <laughs> what, what is his name? Um, I have the list of characters here. Let me see if I can find it. But there's this guy that he works for Shinra, but is Chatley. There we go. Yeah. That is trying to basically help you develop material, kind of under the guise of ter- helping to take down Shinra from the inside, and in doing so. Um, he kind of gives you like battle challenges, like stagger so many enemies or um, hit so many weaknesses. And then that gets you more materia. And every so often you will unlock a new VR mission, which is basically you take your team into this VR world and you fight the summon that then if you defeat it, you get the materia for it. And I will say I tried Shiva as soon as I unlocked the ability to do it and got wrecked because You unlock it, or at least I did, when it was only cloud in the party. Yeah, and you just spam fire. Well well, at that point I didn't have the MP to do that. <laughs> and so um and so and like so yeah, I just got wrecked. I mean, like it wasn't like an awful fight. Like I right. probably got her down halfway, but like it was one of those things that I was like, well, I'm gonna wait a little bit on this. Right. And so but then you go as you go in, and as I went in a little bit later, once you get a full party, I was like, Oh, okay, we got this. And I had fire on multiple people and we were just kind of juggling that around and that kind of thing. Um, right. But there's I'm, definitely that. what do you think of this mechanic as a way of introducing summons? Well, for one,
1: it, it introduced what two summons really early in the story. Um, so I'm not sure how that's going to play out in the future iterations. Um, just because in the original spoiler here, kind of just, prefacing this um you you obtain leviathan after fighting a leviathan type creature like it is introduced and this is often like i think it's juno is when you get leviathan (laughs) um and pieces like that and i i mean it makes more sense this way i guess in a sense that ultimately because materia is like it occurs naturally yes but also there
0: are research and development into the development of materia Mm -hmm. which were some really cool shots into the inside of shinra we got to kind of we're not gonna get spoiler here but you get to see them attempting to manufacture new materia Mm -hmm. which is really cool
1: right and so like the summons in general occur naturally so like the fact that leviathan bahama occurred as early as they do in the story it like i'm curious as to like if they are go- because now we are we- they've kind of changed the entire thing so i mean are we going to have multiple iterations of bahamut like we did in the original um um leading up to the most powerful one are we going to have knights of the round table um in this iteration of the game as well uh are we going to see obviously i mean i'm sure we're obviously going to see um the classical we're going to see odin we're going to see um some of the big pieces are they going to introduce some of the other Um, major summons from the other series
0: yeah will we see alexander will we see like that kind of stuff um i will say i think that this type of mechanic is one of my favorites especially when it's done well i really like the idea of like here is a boss that's really cool and then all the abilities they used against you you now get to use against your enemies i think that that's really cool i think that this game handled it very well in the sense of like, cause like there are some games that when they try this mechanic, it's like, so they completely changed motivations because I beat them. That doesn't quite make sense. Um, some games do it better than others. And like I said, I, I, I liked this one where it's the idea of it's you're battling this. And then that's giving Chadley the information he needs to make the materia. Right. I thought that was really cool. And it's a cool way of putting this, this effect into the game without, again, like I said, getting into the, Up well, you proved you were stronger, so now they're on your side. That that sort
1: of trope. I mean, there's certain trope, like there's certain summons where that trope makes sense, where it's -hmm. a a trial, right, for you to win the approval. Um, it is it is it's a very common one, um, among summons in Final Fantasy series, um, that they are ultimately a neutral piece, but you have to prove your willingness. And ability to mm-hmm. utilize their power
0: effectively. I'm just happy that you don't have to do that in this game by plugging spheres into slots and puzzle solving. Final Take Fantasy that 7. Final Fantasy X. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I.
1: Yeah. That piece sucked. I hated yep. those puzzles. Sometimes I'm just like, what the. Yeah.
0: It was. It was definitely. It wasn't bad
1: because I like I enjoyed the puzzles, but there's just like there's a certain tediousness to it when there's when you have to worry about battles too. Like mm-hmm. in some of those temples, for the most part, at least you could just focus on the the puzzle itself and not have to worry about combat intent. But this isn't about ten. Sorry, yeah.
0: I sidetracked us. My bad. And so, um, anything else you want to say on on those summons?
1: Um, in terms of summons and pieces no there's just i mean it's a pretty limited part of this game um the big boosts come from just the general stat boosts you get from equipping the materia itself um and then the access to the summons is just hard to control and utilize so i i kind of just left it as like okay it's available i'll use it but i'm not gonna fret about wanting to summon right here
0: yeah So the last thing that we have in our kind of gameplay overview talk um, is we're going to talk some about the weapons that you get in the game. Um, One of the things that, that stood out to me as you play this and I've heard this in other places as well, is that there's not really an end game weapon. So like, and, and I think that that's really cool. I found myself, especially on cloud sticking with the buster sword a lot. Like that just kind of felt right. Like and, and I enjoyed that instead of having like stats specifically tied to your item, I'm going to pick on final fantasy 10 again, like brotherhood there where you get this really cool sword very early on. And then it's just like, Oh, well I found something else. I really like that the game introduced this idea of as your characters get stronger, they unlock a new, almost like a sphere grid from final fantasy 13, um, where you can then go and you can level up the item and kind of, and, basically make it your own. Like there's a limited selection on each one, but you can very much specialize your items. And like, this is for when I want Aerith to be a little bit more attacky. This is where I want her to be a bit more spellcastery. And you can, kind of, every character kind of has their weapon like that. Yes. You mentioned earlier, Barrett has two weapons that just straight up take away his gun. And I think one's like a wrecking ball or yes. like a, a, a glaive and then not a glaive a um a, like a spiked ball then the other's like a claw right. and like dude, there's there's so much cool customization you can do with this i really enjoyed this mechanic
1: yeah so like yeah like as we mentioned with barrett like in general he has probably the most diversity because it completely changes how you play him um so like his the the wrecking ball piece or the spiked ball um he attacks down a lot and does like AoE damage kind of like a <laughs> um shockwave and then the pincer attack he like uppercuts and like shoots into them so it does have like um certain aspects but like both really kind of cool and um but yeah in general every character has, I think there's six weapons per character per the main characters and um each one offers they also there's an aspect of it that you learn the there's you learn a specific ability for your character from that weapon this is a very common Mm -hmm. mechanic in the final fantasy series um final fantasy nine exclusively had you learn your character's abilities from their equipment um that you had to use for so long until they mastered the piece um and this one exclusive uh, Fortunately, this is exclusively based on the weapon um and they also offer, um, I guess, a piece that ulti- you can level up faster if you meet criteria during a battle. Mm-hmm. So if you perform a certain action, you you will learn that ability faster. Um, yeah. But ultimately, uh, the way to learn it faster is to... Uh, you learn it faster by using your triangle abilities and using the ability from the weapon.
0: Right. Um, I And I really liked this mechanic too. I liked that basically this is a cool way to explain how your characters learn new things that like, besides just leveling up. And so I really liked that. Um, and I, and I liked to your point, what, like how every ability you would level it up by just spamming it. Or there was this other condition. So I think one of Tifa's abilities is like you use the ability and if it hits more than two or hits two or more enemies with that ability, you gain extra. Mm-hmm. and so it kind of rewards you from being a bit more tactical with how you play it and or and like other ones were like i think again this is another sifa one it's like use the ability and then hit an enemy with a combo or not a comp like with your norm like with your attacks and so it kind of rewards you for doing the ability then getting right back into attacking kind of helping to teach you how to play the game without necessarily doing a tutorial and i thought right. that was pretty cool
1: right and that's a piece and then the weapon upgrades itself this piece was something i didn't necessarily care for i did just set it to automatic eventually Hmm. um instead of trying to look through different things the um exploring these pieces the catalyst and pieces was the mechanic itself was janky it's like i i don't know where i'm going like, it's
0: definitely a bit tedious for sure right and so, so like,
1: but you're adding materia slots you're combined you're adding joints for materia slots which allows you to do the um combination of like using the magnify using the elemental materia and things like that um that aspect of the game like that made it sense so you didn't have to constantly I got a new weapon, I got it, like, it, your weapon itself wasn't progressing in terms of how strong it was. The weapon, it depends on what playstyle you wanted to utilize right. for that character, as we previously mentioned, which made it super nice um, mm-hmm. in terms of mastering. And like, okay, so I want to make Tifa more of a critical hitter and stuff, so I leave her on this weapon, and ultimately I still have the equivalent access to the same amount of materia slots as any others um there's advantages and disadvantages to each one but uh those are kind of which is nice and also because you still have to set up for what is known to be their ultimate weapons in future iterations right. i hope
0: yeah hopefully we'll get that type of stuff right. get hopefully those. we'll
1: see the ultimate weapon hopefully we'll see um hopefully we'll see i don't know i guess that'd be a spoiler um future character sids mop and things like that <laughs> like there are uh, certain things um to look forward to um one thing we should also be about weapons that's different from the original is that the original also had a certain like ap multiplier typically um what do you mean so certain weapons in the original had a so the amount of ap you earned for the materia equipped Mm-hmm. in that weapon was multiplied depending on the multiplier of the weapon. Oh, uh, so, so, like, so some
0: would like level up faster. Right.
1: So there's some weapons, ideal weapons for when you're grinding, that you want to have equipped because it levels up your materia faster. Like triple AP, double AP, etc. There are even some weapons in the original that had a 0x multiplier, so you would mm-hmm. not gain any materia experience with that weapon. Interesting. But there was a big upside in the fact that it did something else. So like there's some balancing pieces there. Maybe we'll see something like that uh, in future iterations, but hard to say for sure.
0: Yeah. With that, that brings us to the end of our general slash gameplay thoughts. Listeners, this is about to get a whole lot more spoiler heavy. So if you've listened this long and you do not want bigger spoilers into the plot, we highly recommend you to drop out now play the game um, and then come back and listen to this section. Or if you've played the game or just don't care about spoilers, keep on listening. Um, And we're going to be chatting through the rest of the game. So with that, let's discuss kind of a high and like low points of the game. Um, What were things that you think from a story perspective worked really well and things that you thought maybe fell a little bit flat. Um, I'll go first. One of the things, this is what I alluded to earlier in the show is I think the way that they they tell the story of Avalanche being not necessarily like good guys to everyone, like not just Shinra obviously who doesn't like Avalanche, but like you kind of see how the general public who doesn't understand what's going on reacts to Avalanche. And one of my favorite like immersion walking semi moments is after you blow up the first reactor, and you basically and. and spoiler like shinra basically blows it up you don't actually do that much um but it's so interesting but the characters think that they've caused this massive explosion right and so it's so interesting to be walking through the aftermath of that seeing all the people whose homes are now like on fire or destroyed and you kind of have this this moment with these characters of like wait we did this And I think that that was such a cool moment for the immersion into this game and and kind of what the game was going to be about. Like you very much have have this group that uh, this group as Avalanche that goes off goes too far in some ways. Like that you get lines later on about how they've kind of been kicked out of Avalanche for being extremists. Right. and I, I thought that that was really interesting and was really cool build, build, world building, especially at the very beginning. That's such a cool start to the game.
1: Right. It is a pretty powerful piece, and it's something, like, ultimately, like, that due to the new technology and the fact that, like, as we mentioned, it's being a walking simulator, um, that as you progress and you hear these side conversations, it kind of it gives you more of an emotional response to the events, Um and also, one thing I wish, though, like, that kind of felt... I wish that at some point you discover that it was Shinra that ultimately did the big amount of devastation um, instead, like you have, but also it goes to carrying, like, at the development of other characters like Jessie and the others, like, that she's carrying this weight. And same with Tifa, when she's trying to decide whether or not she's going to participate in the activities or whichever um they are carrying this weight of what that destruction means in terms of mm-hmm. lives lost and the impact on on those on the on the people of Midgar instead of just impacting Shinra itself right um and so yeah it this game all in all just like the way they had it done this the emotional attachment I had to the newer character or the reimagining of characters and things like that um like like was just great um Mm -hmm. the scene with one of my highs and like just emotional attachment to Aerith was the scene uh in during uh went during the fight for uh the sector seven plate um where Aerith is trying to protect Marlene going to find Marlene is discovered Mm -hmm. and ultimately gets kidnapped um or trades her i guess ultimately her freedom over to protect marlene i think that was a great additional development um Mm -hmm. pretty much everything i really enjoyed the additional uh development for jesse biggs and jess in general like visiting jesse's family um that attachment to her was oof oh man um
0: And so I will say for me, like I said, I've played through this portion of the original, but like I didn't really remember Jesse Biggs and Wedge. Like I remember them being there, but they were just kind of there. And like how this game pulls on your heart and it makes you like that mission where you go to visit Jesse's parents and you find out kind of why she joined Avalanche. And then you get this like, this cool parachuting back down into the slums moment. And then like a couple of chapters later, you're fighting for the plate and like Biggs and Jesse both die. And like Wedge gets really close. Like and like that, like Jesse's like um, Biggs's death didn't hit me that hard, but Jesse's really did like, because they, they just set her up and make you care about that character in a really cool way that like then they just kind of like oh and we we still killed her and i like it's a we'll get into kind of some of the bigger themes later on but that just is such an interesting way for them to take that well
1: so and ultimately this is ultimately going to be a spoiler for you too um kind of overarching so like jesse biggs and wedges death isn't in like when it occurred in the original isn't completely inconsequential but it you definitely don't feel its impact as much as you do in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, their impact in this one is just it's like, okay, I've actually gotten to know you, which which in the original, there is a period um where so major spoiler in the original game, later on in the game, there is a period where Cloud is, I guess, in the live stream. Mm-hmm. Um and ultimately he gets visions of Jesse Biggs wedge. Um, those who have ultimately returned to the planet, which is um, what we refer to. Like, that's what happens to you when you die. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you return to the life stream of the planet in Final Fantasy VII lore. Um, and they kind of help guide Cloud back to consciousness and back to remembrance and to his goals and bring him kind of back after he's essentially dead. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, their character deaths aren't inconsequential looking forward, but in the original just it did felt feel a little out of place that these are the ones that present yourself to them uh to cloud in this scenario
0: mm-hmm.
1: now when we get to that scene it's going to make so much more sense and it's probably going to be that much more powerful like even just thinking about how, imagining the scene now or this part of the game or the story is just like i'm like i can feel the, my emotions building mm-hmm. up just thinking about that or pieces like that um but like you're just feeling like in the original you felt one death straight up right super hard i'm not gonna say it because that is a big spoiler but i've already spoiled the piece but if you most people already know what happens um but now you're feeling like all of the devastation of this world like even just seeing destruction of the world you're feeling for those who hearing these conversations you see kids and stuff you feel that and then you have like the slightly more robust storyline for these side characters and you feel it. It's just done so phenomenally.
0: Mm-hmm. That kind of will bring us into our next segment. and um, We're going to chat a little bit about some of our favorite characters. And like I said, Jesse's death hit me really hard. I, and I like that they kind of made Jesse this super flirt, but you also don't know if she's just trolling Cloud. Like that's one of my favorite parts um, of like their dynamic. Um, but kind of as, as I went, I really liked the main cast. I think they did a really good job. And I I think that they did a good job developing a lot of the villains to not like for, from Shinra's perspective of not necessarily being faceless. Like it felt like they had personalities and that kind of stuff. And they kind of planted that history that these characters would have with each other. And so I thought that that was really cool. Um, but from your perspective, who were some of your favorite characters net new compared to old or just looking solely at new?
1: I mean, in general, there's not like a whole lot of new characters. Um, like everything they did to develop. Um, the people and stuff. I mean, I mean there is one character like just kind of as an obscure piece um that kind of ties a couple chapters together is the teacher um in the for Sector 5 slums, mm-hmm. um who's also a dancer at the Honeybee Inn. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's why it's like like if you do this quest, you, she's like, I have to do like I have important things regarding like achieving my dreams to do. Uh, oh that's and so like ultimately you can actually like if you are if you explore a good portion of um sector six you'll find her and she's like oh it's you (laughs) yes i'm a dancer here it's been a dream and it's just kind of this weird like connection um and also this is we should mention she has a tie to um biggs who is who was her mentor um Mm -hmm. teaching and stuff like that uh but it's It's just the things they did with these sub characters, but, um, all in all I'd say the trio are might be my, some of my favorite characters, um, because they're not like fully beholden to Don Corneo, Corneo. Um, they kind of do their own things and they are just kind of doing their best in the kind of this corrupt aspect of essentially Vegas, um,
0: yeah like super vegas super Vegas. yeah like uh
1: but like i think their development it was just such a cool crucial piece to um also just tying in uh such an important moment in the original to the cross-dressing cloud and how does he end up there how do they end up supporting him and why and what kind of why do they have the pull to get cloud into uh, Mm -hmm. corneo's mansion which was super cool um and just kind of how cryptic they are in dealing with Cloud and Aerith, um, yeah. who are, like, these I, the most ideally, like, naive, innocent kind of basic characters of the game. Yeah. Like, at that time, like, this is, they are so out of their depth in, in the Chapter 6 slums that it's just, it's entertaining Um, and watching these people kind of take advantage of them.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll say for me, for like the main characters, I really liked Barrett's dynamic with his daughter Marlene, but other than that, I didn't really care for him as a character. Like, I maybe it's just kind of the parts of the story that he's in, but like I definitely found myself basically wanting to play with Cloud, Tifa, and Aerith a whole lot more, and then kind of the Barrett sections were the ones like, well, I guess I have Barrett in my party, from a story perspective. Um, like I said, I, I like how they made him a, like he's a, tr- trying his best to be a really good dad. And I think that that is really cool that you kind of you get to see how much that matters to him. And there's there's the scene that you referenced earlier where Aerith basically trades her freedom um, to protect Marlene. And there's this scene where Cloud says, well, Marlene could be at Aerith's mom and Barrett is just full force ready to go. Um, and just, I loved that dynamic. I loved getting to see that even though he's this guy with a machine gun for an arm and he's kind of gruff and he's like, he's a very anime character,
1: the leader um, of a
0: yeah, terrorist group. And... Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like, wants to be a good dad and he wants to protect Marlene. And I really liked that dynamic. Um, I really liked. Also a lot of the Cloud Tifa backstory dynamic that you don't necessarily get a ton of, but like this idea that they like grew up together. And I love that you get to see flashbacks to like young cloud and young Tifa. I thought that was really cool. Um, and kind of getting to see their life like and we basically that in like, the original. Hey, it's been a while. I know. <laughs> and so I really liked that dynamic um and getting to see that play out. Um and then there's a moment in the game where you get a different cutscene kind of based on who you've spent more time with. Um and I got Tifa or based on I say who you spent more time with based on the choices that you've made. Um and I ended up getting Tifa for mine. Um and it was really interesting to see this dynamic this of game, like Yeah.
1: What cutscene are you talking about?
0: The one at um at Earth's Moms.
1: Oh so okay so that is more so like you only get there's only going to be two options there you either get right barrett or tifa right right okay sorry but right so
0: yes and so i got tifa for that um and so it's so interesting to see their character dynamic of cloud that's kind of like this super stoic guy and tifa who's kind of like dealing with the weight of her actions like she's dealing with the the guilt of like being an avalanche, the guilt of like the plate just came down because Shinra w- was willing to do that to get rid of av- this avalanche cell. And it's so interesting to see that dynamic um, and see like them trying to rekindle this friendship that they've kind of lost over the years just from being apart uh, and seeing that grow. I thought that was really cool
1: right there's a lot more illusions in this because i think they were willing to include more um in this too just in, because it's like there are there are some big moments in the original um mm-hmm. that you don't get until later in the game later in this overall story that they're kind of already pointing you toward um in this first installment um grant so i mean because so much is like they're assuming so much of their fan bases have played or is aware of the original story and some of the character pieces that have taken place. So one thing it alludes to is it alludes to the story between also, um, clouds time with soldier and Zach,
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: which you wouldn't find out until much later. Um, and it turns out that cloud may have, which also even dialogue in part of this game with Hojo, um, kind of pieces and, uh, Okay, so in this story now, we also have the this aspect of fate. Um, right. And there are periods that fate intervenes to kind of keep the story on the same path um, because Hojo almost reveals that Cloud may not have been a soldier um, and that ultimately his identity as a soldier is someone else's. Um, and that's what Hojo almost reveals before he gets swept away by these... Fate, um arbiters. Yeah, the arbiters the of whispers fate, the whispers. Um or the, the mentors. Um, yeah. <laughs> um and pieces like that. And but they like so many of the cutscenes allude to this and mm-hmm. you know, point to his struggle and like what's happening kind of in his brain, like when he struggles to remember things or um in these aspects. And I think they did such a good job at that. But yeah, just to point out, Cloud actually is not a first class soldier. Yeah. <laughs> He's actually pretty much an experiment um, that yeah. went kind of wrong. And...
0: and so that kind of brings us in. Um, I wrote down a question, once, one for each of us, kind of building on our background with the game. The one that I thought of for myself is, what is something that, that I felt like I missed because I didn't play the original? And so in a lot of that is the Zach and Soldier dynamic. And so like, I knew who Zach was. We'd actually talked about that before I even got to the scene where you see Zach because there's another scene where like Cloud kind of talks to himself. And I thought that was going to be a Zach reveal. But like, there, there's definitely a lot of that that I didn't remember. Like I was, or didn't know. Like I was pretty confident Zach died, but I also wasn't a hundred percent sure. And so like, there was definitely that that moment where you get towards the end of the game where Zach is alive. And like, I feel like that didn't have as much of an impact on me because I didn't know he died. Right. Like, and so like that stuff didn't have that impact. Um, well, ultimately,
1: even then, like even playing the original, like, I don't think that would have had as much of an impact. It's implied that he died in seven, um, but we never actually see the scene or anything like that. His Zach's appearance in seven is very minimal in cut scenes and things like that. Um here it's a little more emphasized. Um where you really where that major scene comes from where ultimately it turns out Zach might be alive. Um actually
0: Yeah, we'll get into the end that stuff too a bit more
1: later. Well that more so that scene more so stems from Crisis Core. Yeah. Um, which is a piece. But yeah, like but yeah, some of those scenes are just like what what? But that's a endgame piece that just like wait what is happening
0: right Um, and like I said we'll get to that the bigger end piece story um, and kind of talk through that a bit more then the other thing that stood out to me as kind of missing is the whole and and I don't think this would have been explained by any means in this section in the first one but the whole Sephiroth they're kind of being clones that he's taking over and like they're like the Genova cells type stuff. They are remnants. Yeah. so like that whole thing was just like stuff's happening. It's crazy. And I'm not a hundred percent sure what's going on. Right.
1: But, I think that's something you miss from not having completed the original. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's a strong piece in aspects of like, so once you get to the next town, I think it's Nibelheim. Um is a piece. It's strong. Uh, the uh, essentially those numbered pieces are essentially also. If you watched Advent Children, the three brothers are essentially remnants, the equivalents, um, much stronger remnants than like all these numbered remnants from the Genova cells um, in this one that are being kind of manipulated for Sephiroth's bidding. But we're again, we're seeing this piece much earlier in the story that. Mm-hmm technically doesn't come until much later um yeah. in the original,
0: yeah, like I said I, that was one of those things that's like I feel like I'm not supposed to get this yet, but I am definitely confused, and I feel like that's a good story hook, like it all like air quotes made sense, but also was like just out there enough to where I was confused and wanted to know more, and I think that that's a really good storytelling
1: right, and well like one piece that was like also kind of where you're kind of getting confused is like. Is this just a reaction that cloud is having?
0: oh yes, the headaches the headaches or, or co- you like... know,
1: and then he goes into like kind of this vision, like it alludes to early on, you know, um in the story, and then suddenly, like end game, you have another transition, but everyone definitely saw Sephiroth, and it's yeah. just like this piece was like where everyone like only Cloud's having this reaction due to his the the mako and um the specific cells in that he's been interacted with and his interactions with sephiroth um and everyone else is like no he's this is he's just mm-hmm. uh, a resident of this building and then it turns out maybe a little more is happening here right. with these characters
0: so that brings us to the question i wrote down for you what from a story sp- um, perspective stands out as different from the original and we'll also the caveat other than the ending Like what is something that you thought was a really cool change um, or wasn't a cool change that from the original story to this one?
1: I mean, ultimately what really stands out as different is just the development of the sub characters for the most part. So like the extra addition you have of, uh, of development for Jesse, pretty much an entire chapter dedicated to her. Yeah. Um, Those pieces, um, and honestly, the, what also really stands out is the addition of the Whispers, and I really like what they did there because everything's pointing toward this endgame and leading up to it as a result. Um, and it also the, them using that, I guess, I, I don't know, that method to kind of explain the differences for mm-hmm. for those of us who are familiar with the original um, was a major kind of cool... I, maybe not so much cool. Like I have very mixed feelings about what they're
0: doing. And I figure we're going to have different takes on this because I am, I am not a long-term fan and you are right. And so, and that'll, I guess kind of transition us into our closing segment or not closing segment, our segment on the closing of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, So the last kind of last couple chapters discussing the endings, the big reveals, and then kind of in that, where do we think the, the end is going or the sequels are going to go. And so one of the big reveals we've hit on throughout the game is that there's these things called the Whispers and they are basically the arbiters of fate. Um, and it is their job to keep the story on the actual story that happened in the original Final Fantasy VII. So there's a scene where Sephiroth kills Barrett, and the Whispers bring Barrett back to life. Um, there's a scene um, on the tower or on the pillar where the whispers make sure Jesse and Biggs like aren't moving that much. Like there, are those types of scenes. And at the end, basically the big, the big ending is you challenge fate itself in, in an right. attempt to, to basically rewrite what happened in the original final fantasy seven.
1: Right. And ultimately like this is kind of, it alludes to, um, Sephiroth kind of guiding them toward this to challenging fate because mm-hmm. possibly he, he he was already aware of what the result is of the current timeline or what the next steps look like in terms of him being defeated and it's his only chance to potentially succeed. Um, it It's very interesting um, that this is kind of their next kind of power move. That they have Mm -hmm. to defeat fate and challenge fate to proceed um is like i almost like because i it opens up and makes me so skeptical of next um iterations just because now they can do almost anything yeah and i'm like i don't know if i want you to do almost anything (laughs) and it's just but we'll, we'll see uh it is something even like as they're being revealed um certain aspects of the timeline so ultimately cloud does see his himself succeed in defeating Sephiroth um but as a result he also does ultimately the illusion the to earth's death mm-hmm. and everything like that um ultimately can they change it for the better or what and that also makes me nervous because it's such a staple and it's something right. that like caused mm-hmm. such a big commotion um that to Track that back now and ha- be able to change that aspect of the story. I'm just a little disappointed in.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm really interested to in where they're going to go with that because, like, I I spent like 45 minutes chatting with uh, a, after I finished the game, a friend at work had asked me what I thought. And we chatted for about 45 minutes or to an hour. And it was, and I was like about two thirds of the way through that talk. I was like, and this is just the last two hours of the game that I've been talking about because there's so much in those last two hours that occurs that like it blows up what the sequel could do to be basically anything in the timeline to, to your point, like Aerith could live, um, a random other character could die. Um, Presumably Zach lives. And there's this question now of like branching timelines. Like, like, is the team jumping to a different timeline, or is this just a show of a different reality? Like, what all is going to be going on with that? And so I'm really interested to see what that is going to look like and how they will weigh that with the expectations of fans that do still want to see these major beats from the other games. Yeah. The other part much. of the game
1: too much thinking and not it's not soon enough, like yeah, like that's my biggest problem is that we're still looking at two to three years before we next see the next installation of the story and what they're gonna do with it, so that's a whole lot of mulling over what you <laughs> of what right. just occurred, and just i get it out <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's it's definitely it was definitely a twist um for an ending and just super surprising and we'll see what happens, I guess. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I really like one of the cool things in this, this final battle with fate is that you seemingly fight the like fate, all like whisper altered versions of Tifa Barrett and um, cloud. And I think that that's kind of interesting. You've like, that the last boss is kind of you, I guess not the last boss, but one of the last bosses they are iterations is kind of you. Of you or di- they're pretty much a direct correlation of the right. future of those
1: characters, I guess.
0: And so that's pretty cool. Like that was definitely like,
1: or like, did you assess them? Yes. Okay. So like their descriptions in this like, piece, there pretty much directly correlate to you. these, indicating these might be the, your, their future cells on the correct fateful right. time flying.
0: Yeah, and it's basically future you trying to stop you from preventing future you from existing. Like they're trying to keep you on fate's track, right? Um, which is, v- I think, is very interesting. Like from like a themes perspective, I think that that's a very cool theme that that we got to see. This idea, like I said, of fate of of what is destiny versus what is happenstance
1: right and i'm like i'm wondering because if this is an ongoing theme are there going to be like ultimately i think what they're potentially setting up for what this can potentially mean for the rest of the series is that in next installments there might be other areas where you have to combat fate and depending on the results of that combat that Mm -hmm. battle will change the ending of that next segment yeah and i'm just like well potentially like that's something they can definitely do so you can have multiple endings to each portion of the story Mm -hmm. and kind of like these all these little sub branches which we kind of saw like in this with like hey you can actually unlock this extra scene if you complete all these sub quests versus just some of them Mm -hmm. um there's three different dresses for each character uh (laughs) and things like that but so like they they may obviously have the forethought to potentially do something like that i'm not saying i like it i'm saying it's a possibility who knows
0: yeah and i think that brings us to the last thing for our spoiler talk and that's kind of a look at the major themes and kind of the the, the messages that maybe like we as christians got out of them um and so to me um, one of the big ones is there's this ongoing theme of what is truth, which is of course a conversation at the core of basically at the core of the bible um is this idea of of who do you listen to like is it this group um of people who are almost doomsdayers if you you can think of avalanche in that regard, or do you listen to this? super shady corporation that kind of just wants to keep everything locked down. And you kind of have both sides giving their own side of the information and you have to choose like what is truth. And I think that that, I mean, has obvious understandings. Like if you look at like the New Testament, especially where it talks about the idea of false prophets and stuff like that of like, well, who do you listen to? Who is the right person? And we even see that with various challenges that Christians have today of like well who who today do you listen to for that
1: right i mean like i that was something i was going to mention is that um ultimately there is the idea that the planet is living um and currently like so in general the and the theme of Shinra is that they are harnessing that life force of the planet to produce electricity of some sort or some type of Mm -hmm. power source. Um, But now there's that reality of like, there's the old beliefs that that is truly the life force. That is Mm -hmm. the essentially the blood of the planet that is being utilized. And Shinra just believes as another power source, potentially granted there's a part of Shinra that obviously believes in the old lore and the old stories Mm -hmm. and that the planet is living and things like that. And I think this is a kind of a correlation to kind of, kind of our idea of dominion and um, in Christian, in terms of Christian themes, possibly Eden um, and the Mm -hmm. idea of dominion and stewarding the planet um, versus, you know, greed and profit, you know, essentially, Shinra is on a task to find the original Garden of Eden or get access, gain access mm-hmm. to Eden, um, this perfect piece. And he's doing that through the manipulation of Mako and through the manipulation of the last of the ancient bloodline, which is Aerith. Um, potentially. That's his goal. Yeah. Um, it's alluded to, and you kind of see that piece. And it's I think that has a strong tie to in terms of at least the initial Christian themes, because we have this wonderful place, this kind of like the portrayal of the ancients in early time, their ability to manipulate the life stream in terms of using magic spells in terms of the materia and aspect um, and kind of how they lived in harmony with that um, to kind of go about their lives versus our new modern Mm -hmm. kind of harnessment of that power is ultimately a deterrent um, detriment to the planet and we uh p- more parasitic than symbiotic um. mm-hmm.
0: something that that really reminded me of is the transition in avatar from the last airbender to legend of korra where you see this idea of the old bending ways basically just becoming jobs like there's a scene where you have mako lightning bending but it's solely to provide energy. And there's a bunch of lightning vendors doing this. And I really think that that's, that's an interesting theme that you brought up that I hadn't thought of. Like there's definitely those Eden allegories, but, but I didn't, I didn't make that connection until you said that. And I think that that's really cool. Like, and then, yeah, like what do you do with it? Do you exercise dominion because you can, or do you protect it for the next generation? Right. Like I think that that's really interesting. Like I said, I just, completely didn't think of that until you brought it up
1: right and it's 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 such a strong theme like in terms of like because that's also like we have essentially a group of people avalanche that have now discovered or be- really have are creating strong ties to the original origin stories of the planet and are mm-hmm. believing that mako is truly the life stream and what are they willing to sacrifice or what are they willing to do to kind of try to restore balance, to restore um, health to the planet. And they kind of take the extreme, even at the cost of other lives, Um, which we also see not necessarily, I mean, yeah, there's probably direct themes in stories in the Bible, but more so in Christian history, what we've done in the name of, in terms of war and Mm -hmm. establishment to bring about the kind of christian era or christian message to um others i, I and mm-hmm. not in a good way i'm not saying i'm not agreeing yeah. with that history but it did happen and it has a strong allegory to um mm-hmm. kind of events in final fantasy 7 is why i bring yeah. it up
0: the other thing that kind of stands out to me and this is and we've discussed it throughout this last portion is that idea of fate and that really kind of hit me with that same idea of prayer of like Sometimes when, like, people pray, it's, God, I'm going to sit here and I want you to do this thing. And that, that's, that's very much that idea of what the whispers were trying to preserve, is that this is the timeline, it's going to be preserved. Um, but then there's other times where, like, you have that whole thing where the, the main crew basically says, we're going to take fate down we're going to do what we think is best and basically let the chips fall where they may. Um, and that's kind of the extreme example the other way, but I think that that's a kind of interesting look at that idea of like, again, as I said earlier, of like, what is destiny versus what can be changed. Right. And I think that that's kind of interesting. And it's one of my favorite quotes is that um, when you ask God to move a mountain, be ready for him to give you a shovel. And that, right. that's something that, like, that this idea of fate kind of hit me with is the, the, the crew and Avalanche, Avalanche specifically, this, this cell, want to do what it takes to bring the, the planet back to what is, air, like, what is right, what will preserve the lifeblood of the planet. Um, and they're willing to step outside of fate in order to try to make that happen. And I just think that that's really interesting. Like I said, and it really ties in with that idea of, of prayer um, and this idea of, of talking and trying to find out what is the plan. And then also not just sitting and waiting for a plan to happen, but acting on it.
1: Right. And you know, like going into kind of another direction for that similar theme is the kind of the big baddie of the series Sephiroth um, mm-hmm. and what ultimately his idea of the salvation of the planet is, um, and trying and doing everything he can to manipulate everything to fall into that concept or that future. Um, and he and he and Sephiroth is a character that, as you get to know and like understand, he genuinely believes, um, that the salvation of the planet is its destruction and that the life that he is ultimately the messiah that should bring it back. That should bring about that destruction mm-hmm. because the planet's then gonna live on in him which okay so spoiler again um, so Sephiroth's goal is ultimately to turn Terra or turn the planet into a giant meteor that he will traverse uh, space with um before crashing on another planet essentially um, and that is also like that's how jehovah uh Genova arrived, sorry Genova arrived on Earth or this planet um and is kind of the first piece of the um death or like the like granted the planet protected itself and is recovering, but the original crashing of Genova on Terra is a big piece, and that's kind of what he's trying to re vive is this parasitic aspect of taking this planet now taking it as its husk and becoming a new meteor for another planet as he travels to it it's it's a really bizarre piece but ultimately um you i guess you consider him a false prophet or a piece that it's like i get it potentially like, I can see that. And if he leaves off enough information, his story is very compelling. Like, you might want mm-hmm. to follow him. Um, because he's kind of charismatic, he's powerful, and ultimately, he is preaching about the salvation of the earth, just not in the way you probably want to save it.
0: Yeah. Well, Chris has been a fantastic spoiler cast. I feel like it's been a while since we've done one of these, and I'm really excited that we got to do one.
1: Right, it has been a while. I think the last yeah. one we did was Persona.
0: Did we do a Persona one?
1: Maybe I don't
0: know. I don't hey, listeners, tell, what, what was, was the our last list?
1: spoiler cast we did? We'll take yeah. a look and try. To I know go we back did an and...
0: end game one with our sister podcast that we'll talk a bit more about in a second. Um, but I don't remember the last video game one we did. I, I don't um, forget. Did we do a Jedi Fallen Order one? No. Okay.
1: Because I didn't play that far into it.
0: Maybe Deanna and I did a Jedi Fallen Order one? Maybe. I don't remember. But regardless, listeners, if you want to listen to our other podcasts, including our regular weekly show and our spoiler casts or one-off discussions, you can find those um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podchaser, pod Pod underscore whatever. (laughs) Um, and you can find us there. We also really appreciate reviews, especially five-star ones. They help us grow. They help get the word out. Um, and we ask you, please, if you have a time, leave those, um, wherever it is that you listen. And then if you would like to talk to us more, you can find us at one geek four one, one on Facebook, Twitter, and our PlayStation community. And you can send us an email at one ST geek four one, one at gmail.com. One of the things that you could tell us about there are what are some of your favorite character archetypes and who is your favorite character of those? And we'll have a link to an article I mentioned last week in the show notes, but that's going to be our top three for for our next show. Um, So come back for that discussion. And then you can find our show notes at onegeek411.com where you can find our sister podcast, Faith, Trust, and Pixie Dust. And then you can also find us on our personal social medias. I'm Kumar Whittill.
1: I'm not so foreign.
0: And it's been a great week.
1: I love you. Wash
0: your hands.